Welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, and I'm in studio (laughs) with our senior pastor, Scott Richards. And uh, hello, sir. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Good. It's a little bit uh, chilly today. Yeah, uh, another sign of the apocalypse, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Freezing weather in Tucson, although... Uh, I do believe I saw a couple of snowbirds out sunbathing by the pool. They said this reminded them of summer from where they were from. So, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Obligatory snowbird joke I in weather in, conditions like these. I, I lived in Minneapolis for a couple of years, so... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a joke, is it? <laughs> well, we're so glad you're tuning in. If you're with us today, this is A Reason for Hope. This is a weekday Bible answer program where we take questions from our live stream audience about the Christian faith, about the, the biblical worldview. Uh, is Christianity true? Is there good reasons for believing the tenets or the central beliefs of the historic Christian faith? And so if you are someone who perhaps just are skeptic and are curious or you're maybe seeking, <clears throat> is is God real and has he spoken? Has he revealed himself in human history? And is there any evidence to believe such things? Or perhaps you are a believer and you just are baffled by maybe the latest doctrinal (laughs) controversy or you just want to know how to draw closer to God and how to wrestle with scripture and apply it to your life. Uh, That's why we're here. That's why we do this. So I'd encourage you to join us. There are multiple ways you can do so. Of course, you can email us directly. That's probably the easiest way. Uh, If you're not watching, if you're listening on the radio, you can just email us directly at uh, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope all letters, no numbers in that name, uh, at gmail.com. You can also join us on Facebook. We live stream to Facebook and YouTube simultaneously. So if you join the live stream, just go to facebook.com forward slash CCF Tucson or just search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on for our Facebook page. We live stream not just this program every Monday through Friday, uh, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. <clears throat> but we also live stream all of our services. We have a Wednesday evening Oasis service. It starts at 6.30 p.m. Also Sunday morning, uh, 9 and 11 a.m. services. And currently we're going through the book of Acts on Sundays. And on Wednesdays, we're going through the book of Ezekiel. We are a church that teaches uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. So I'd encourage you to uh, tune in if you're not from the Tucson area. And if you are, please join us. <clears throat> if you want to ask a question on YouTube, you can simply go to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash a at a reason for hope 546 or just search for a reason for hope on YouTube. And if you see that little red icon with the white dove, then you know you have found us. If you want to avoid social media altogether, you want to watch the live stream, you want to type in your questions using the comment box, you can just go to our website as well. That's CalvaryChristianFellowship.com and just click that watch live tab on our navigation and you'll be able to watch the live stream, all our services, and you can leave comments. And if you have a question for us that you'd like our Bible answer guys to answer, then you can just leave that question in the comments. I'm monitoring all these platforms all at the same time, including the email address. So if you, even at the last minute, pop in a question and we have room for it, we'll get to it. And if we miss your question, we will, we actually keep a chat log of all our questions and we will get to it in the order that it was received. So please don't lose heart if we don't get to you. Uh, just tune in the next day or so, and we'll get to you. Uh, before we uh, get to the questions for today, I want to encourage you all to check out our app. We have a pretty cool uh, Bible app. It's uh, got a nifty uh, little Bible that you can uh, 
pick translations, you can leave notes, you can um, <clears throat> highlight text. It's really great, and so I'd encourage you to download that if you want to from the Apple or Google Play Store. It's also got our calendar for various uh, gatherings on the on-campus or off-campus, our home fellowship groups. It also has uh, a way to simply and easily give. You can also create and join chat groups and so much more, so I'd encourage you to download that. Also, if you want to watch our live stream on a smart device like a Amazon Fire product or a Roku device, just log in to your device and search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson and you can add our channel to your listings and you can watch us that way as well. With that said, we'll take a moment to pray and get started. Yeah, let's do that. Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity to be able to spend time in your presence, to hear your voice speaking uh, not only uh, sense to the things that we see around us going on in this world, but the issues of our hearts and uh, what's going on in our lives. I pray, Father, that you would uh, allow us to be edified and built up in our knowledge of what your word has to say. I pray that we would speak your truth, your whole truth, and nothing but your truth. So you give us the power to do so. I pray, Lord, uh, that we would uh, get handles on how to apply your truth more consistently within our lives, walking uh, even in the midst of uh, fiery trials, Lord. Uh, your word is a lamp into our feet and our light into our path. We pray that uh, you would do some path lightning in our lives today. And Lord, as well, we pray for your comfort. Uh, so many people just feeling so distressed and downcast in these days, like sheep without a shepherd. I pray that you would beckon them to yourselves. And Lord, especially those that uh, might not know you in a personal way, I pray that they would have that kind of encounter with you as your word goes forth. They would receive you as their savior and be born again, even as this broadcast goes on. Thank you for this privilege of spending time in your presence and uh, in your word. Guide uh, Adrian and I and uh, fill us with your spirit and guide those that are going to be uh, bringing in the questions, Lord, uh, that they would be exactly the questions you would want us to explore. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. And thanks for joining us again. And uh, we're looking forward to getting your questions. Uh, before we do today, usually uh, in light of certain uh, well, in light of current events, especially as it pertains to the nation of Israel, the Middle East, we try to do a little uh, little prophecy update. What's going on? How does it pertain to biblical prophecy, the nation of Israel, and God's unfolding plan for humanity? So do we have any updates for today? Yeah, lots, uh, as a matter of fact, going on in uh, Israel uh, today and uh, through the weekend. Uh, it does appear uh, that uh, this, this game of chicken, especially, is being played, not just with what's going on in Gaza. Um, there are reports, and uh, we haven't been able to get some clarity on these reports, that it has been a tough day today for the IDF mm -hmm. in Gaza. We don't know specifically about what has happened or what's gone on, but we will keep an eye on uh, the most uh, breaking news that we have along that line. We don't uh, just tell you those things that uh, are positive and encouraging about what's uh, going on with Israel, but uh, we want to give you the full picture. So we will keep an eye on that. Uh, over the weekend, uh, some very interesting developments happening. Uh, one of them threatens to, well, if possible, even uh, take the tensions uh, going on in this region uh, up a notch, believe it or not. Um, according to Hezbollah officials on their Telegram platform, an Israeli drone strike killed uh, probably one of the highest ranking members of Hezbollah earlier today. 
uh, not Hassan Nasrallah, but very, very close. Uh, this fellow's name was Wissam Hassan Tawil. Uh, he was uh, the commander of uh, what basically amounts to Hezbollah's special forces units. Uh, he was also incredibly high placed as far as Hezbollah is concerned. Uh, he was the uh, initially the driver, uh, the personal driver and a head of security and a top aide to Qasem Soleimani. Uh, the, we've mentioned him before. He was the brilliant strategist uh, from the Iranian Republican Guard Corps, uh, the Al-Quds Force as it was known and uh, was essentially the architect of uh, the strategy that Iran uses to set up these proxy terrorist groups to go after Israel uh, and hopefully not getting uh, their hands dirty in the process. Very, very close to this man. You might recall on Friday we talked about the explosion, uh, the terrorist attack that took place on the fourth anniversary of Soleimani's death in Iran. Uh, ISIS went ahead and took credit for that. Iran tried to get a dust-up going, saying that no, it was Israel, but it does appear that the very specific uh, ISIS group uh, that operates, believe it or not, out of Afghanistan uh, is uh, responsible for this particular wow. uh, incident that took place. But suffice it to say, Israel uh, took uh, out uh, this uh, individual on uh, this uh, in a, uh, an airstrike. And uh, to top it all off, not only was he uh, best buddies and lifelong pals with Qasim Soleimani, he was also uh, uh, Nasrallah, the head of uh, Hezbollah, uh, his brother-in-law. So very, very close uh, to uh, Nasrallah's family, uh, very, very close uh, that's going on there. And obviously, uh, Nasrallah has had to make uh, statements uh, to the effect of this will not go unavenged and uh, we will be striking back and uh, we're going to make life miserable for the Israelis. Uh, but uh, the, the biggest uh, concern uh, going on is uh, that uh, the, uh, this kind of a strike definitely shows us not just that the war is potentially expanding, but it has expanded. Uh, what people don't realize is that on October 8th, uh, Hezbollah launched a, an unprovoked attack on Israel using uh, some of their missile technology launching into the areas of the Golan Heights and so on. Uh, and so from that time, there's been exchanges going on. Israel's been quite active. In fact, uh, it's been pointed out that there is a UN Resolution 1771 that Hezbollah is in violation of uh, the uh, previous uh, Lebanon-Israel war. Uh, indicated that uh, Hezbollah had to uh, withdraw uh, to the north side of a uh, river in, uh, in uh, Lebanon. It is uh, approximately, oh, uh, about 40 miles or so from the Israeli border. They have not done that. Uh, the thing that puts uh, Hassan Nasrallah and others in a kind of a pickle is uh, the politics of Lebanon. Uh, Hezbollah has kind of worn out its welcome in Lebanon. You might recall that after uh, the, uh, the war that took place between Hezbollah and Israel in Lebanon the last time, it took uh, Hezbollah about six years to recover from that as far as being able to retrench and rearm itself. Uh, they, they really uh, took it very, very heavy in that uh, particular exchange. 
as well as the nation of Lebanon. One of the things that uh, the uh, the uh, politicians, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, the head of the IDF, uh, the head of Sheen Bet, the uh, Israeli defense uh, agency and so on, have said that uh, if uh, Hezbollah keeps this up, uh, essentially Lebanon is going to end up looking just like Gaza does right now. Israel will uh, basically go all out in terms of that war. Uh, Interesting article in the Wall Street Journal uh, earlier today uh, that quoted unnamed uh, U.S. uh, intelligence uh, operatives saying that they did not believe, the United States does not believe that Israel could prevail in a war that involved uh, Lebanon, uh, that is Hezbollah in Lebanon, Hamas in the south. Uh, Already uh, we're seeing uh, almost daily incidents taking place with uh, Hamas uh, sympathizers even in the West Bank in the area of the Palestinian Authority. And as well, Syria uh, looks like they would probably want to get into the mix as far as that's concerned. Now that sounds rather daunting as far as Israel's prospects are concerned to have all of these different entities uh, after them all at the same time. But let's not forget, in virtually every conflict that has gone on with Israel, they have been surrounded by their enemies. It has looked like they were outgunned and overmatched, uh, including uh, some situations where the enemies of Israel were uh, basically wholly uh, operated uh, extensions of Russia uh, going on there. As far as Russian air cover and things along this line, Israel has continued to prevail. And I don't think it's just because Israel is all that in a bag of chips as far as their military is concerned, although I would not underestimate the IDF in any way, shape, or form. But the, the fact that God is looking out for his people, uh, you know, Psalm 121 says that uh, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And I do think that we've seen that repeatedly over and over again. So uh, the, uh, the taking out of this key official in Hezbollah sends a message even to Hassan Nasrallah and the other leaders, even to the leadership in Iran, that it doesn't matter where you are territorially, if you are an enemy of Israel and are considered a high value <clears throat> target, you'll be taken out. Interestingly, uh, 12 uh, frigates and uh, similar class ships of the Iranian Navy blew up in their harbor today. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, nobody is really taking credit uh, for this particular incident. But in light of what's going on with the Houthi uh, rebels and they're attempting to cut off 15% of the world's shipping uh, going through the, uh, the uh, south side of uh, the Saudi Arabian Peninsula and the strait between that into the Red Sea, uh, I think it's very interesting that that would happen at this particular time. So uh, the tensions are rising, obviously. Uh, there is also a report out Uh, that uh, a couple of disconcerting things as far as Israel is concerned, that uh, President Joe Biden uh, is beginning to listen to advice from his inner staff saying that uh, the only way that he is going to be able to keep his currently shaky coalition of supporters together uh, on his side of the political fence, including many that support Hamas in this particular venture, Uh, is to uh, come down with a very heavy hand on Israel to have an unconditional and permanent ceasefire with Hamas in Gaza. 
Benjamin Netanyahu reacted to these reports by saying there's no way we will ever do that. We have not changed our goals in the slightest. However, the tactics appear to be changing. Uh, Israel says they are now in operational control over northern Gaza. They have that well in hand, according to what they're, they're saying. But uh, now they are beginning to move into southern Gaza, places like Kanyonis and these other, these other uh, cities that uh, are uh, making headway in the news. Uh, that is going to be uh, kind of a last stand, in a sense, for Hamas. And you can bet that uh, the intensity of the fighting is only going to increase as that happens. A uh, very interesting thing about moving into the southern part of Gaza, uh, a report uh, came in that uh, the IDF knows where the vast majority of the hostages are being held in southern Gaza. Well, why don't they go after them? Uh, well, uh, again, these hostages are being used as human shields to uh, keep uh, the head honcho of, uh, of Hamas's operations, a fellow by the name of Sindahar, uh, safe from Israeli attack. And apparently the way they've designed their terror tunnels, and you know, when you think of terror tunnels, we tend to think of like sewers and things just below the surface. Some of these terror tunnels are, you know, like uh, 200 feet underground, have uh, huge, uh, you know, open-air complexes where uh, the uh, the strategists and the head honchos of Hamas are uh, able to hold forth and so forth. And uh, there were discovered in northern Gaza uh, one facility where there were large cages that had been built mm. to keep these hostages. Well, the hostages are long gone. They're down in the south. But remember something. Israel, their, their cultural bias is to do every single thing they possibly can to try to save the life of these hostages. And uh, cynically, uh, Hamas knows that. And so they will use every strategic way they can to continue to use these hostages as human shields. Also in the subject of human shields, a uh, report from our own State Department confirmed the fact that uh, Hamas is now using children, some as young as four and five years old, and women as scouts and messengers uh, to be able to uh, get intelligence about uh, what Israel is doing. Uh, some, uh, even women, have volunteered for suicide bomb duty. So, you know, the, the fact that in their way of thinking, you know, we've heard them say this many, many times, uh, we love death more than you yeah. love life, the whole martyrdom uh, complex. Uh, the only way you can guarantee your salvation in Islam is to die as a martyr in jihad. Uh, well, if you believe that, um, the idea of being able to go out and avoid the horrors of Muslim hell, and by the way, uh, in Islam, the horrors of hell are very luridly and graphically and vividly described. Uh, the, even the, uh, the, the, the most uh, righteous Muslims have no idea whether they're going to make it or not. Even Muhammad himself, uh, the reason that uh, Muslims will say, peace be upon him, is this wishful thinking that even Muhammad made it to Islamic heaven. Because if you did everything right, show up on a bad day when Allah's in a bad mood, you're out. It doesn't matter. That's, uh, you know, this is all Allah is, is a 700-foot-tall representation of an Islamic warlord. So uh, when you see this sort of thing happening, you realize what Israel's up against. It really causes us uh, to want to redouble our prayers 
uh, not just for the protection of the IDF and not just that righteousness would prevail in this region, not just that uh, our leadership would do the right thing by Israel. Again, Genesis 12, 3, God will bless those who bless Israel mm. and curse those who curse him. We don't want to mess around with that in any way, shape, or form. But also, as we mentioned on Friday, we need to be praying that uh, these people that are literally trapped in this false and destructive and oppressive religious system would uh, have the light and love of Jesus Christ shine upon them. Mm. We've seen some positive reports from some uh, people, uh, some pretty significant converts from Islam who used to be involved with uh, Hamas and uh, terrorism and so forth, uh, that if God could turn their lives around, they believe that God can change the hearts of the Palestinians in, uh, in Gaza, uh, as well as uh, in Lebanon. Uh, how in the world is there gonna be peace on the outside if there's no peace in the hearts of people? Mm. So we need to be praying for that as well. Mm. Well, thanks, Pastor Scott. And by the way, I, you know, I've been noticing a lot of conservative uh, media, YouTubers, authors who, you know, surprisingly will say they come from a Christian background and really making very anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist uh, comments. And yeah. when I see them, I think, where is this person coming from? And then uh, for example, I saw one who I had watched, uh, just a conservative guy doing, you know, very big YouTube channel, laying out an argument, and and I thought, my goodness, where where is this coming from? And and so I I, I wanted to let everybody know that um, uh, Pastor Sean has put together a four-part series, right, called Why We Stand with Israel, and I think that it's not just a geopolitical decision there's a very deep-rooted biblical you know I guess you could say just as there is a crimson thread for Jesus throughout the entire Bible there is a apple of God's eye for the people of Israel right. throughout, from the very right. beginning to the very end starting from Genesis to Revelation and so uh, Sean's laying out this case for why we stand for Israel uh, biblically theologically what are the implications of that and I just want to let everybody know that we'll be putting that up on our website uh, in the next day or so. We'll be looking for that. Also, if you want to go into a deep, deep dive, we are have hosting a conference on January 19th and 20th. That's a Friday right. evening and a Saturday. And I'd really encourage you all to attend. It's uh, the understand, as you can see there from from the, uh, the line there, understanding Israel conference. So I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, and you can register. There are still plenty of seats left. We have about 140 registrants already, and we're bringing in Ronnie Simone uh, from overseas to come and be one of our speakers. It's going to be a phenomenal time, so I'd really encourage you to register if you haven't already. Yeah, Ronnie is, uh, is one of our favorite tour guides. Uh, in fact, he was one of Pastor Chuck Smith's favorite tour guides when Chuck would take uh, tours uh, to Israel. Uh, a really wonderful historian, uh, retired IDF colonel, uh, has some very, very interesting takes wow. and insight uh, about what's going on. And so we're going to divvy up the conference. Uh, the Friday night sessions are going to be a, a time where I'm going to be interviewing Ronnie about what's happening in that area to give you all just a historical background, a current events background, a uh, perspective from someone 
who's literally there on the ground about where this is going and, and how things are going to shape up. Uh, we're also going to have a Q&A session that night. So if you've got questions about what's going on with Israel, uh, questions about how uh, this uh, particular circumstance is in the situation, questions about how you can best support Israel, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to give you the opportunity to be able to answer those. Then on Saturday, uh, Ronnie is going to be doing uh, all day long uh, from nine o'clock to three in the afternoon, mm -hmm. his Israel Comes to You conference. Uh, and what he has done is he's put together just some uh, amazing uh, media, and uh, it will be roughly the same experience that you would have if you went on a trip with us to Israel. And uh, for those who, for financial reasons or personal reasons, physical reasons, uh, can't uh, see themselves ever taking a trip along this line. We are going in 2025, by the way. Uh, but uh, for those that uh, can't make it for whatever reason, this is the next best thing. Uh, you're, you're really going to see the way you look at the Bible uh, changed radically as a result of being able to see the places and understand the customs and understand uh, the nuances of uh, what's being represented there. Uh, the other thing that I would say is if you're planning on going to Israel, boy, this is a great way to get ready for that because, mm. uh, you know, again, I'm sure you'd agree with me, Adrian, for a lot of people uh, that go to Israel for the first time, they will say things like, it was overwhelming. Uh, it was like trying to drink water out of a fire hose. I was yeah. taking in so much stuff all at once. It was just hard to take it all in. Well, this is a great way to kind of ease into all of that and uh, to get to a place uh, where, where you're really ready to make the most of a uh, tour to Israel. And Ronnie will be our tour guide as we go back to Israel in 2025. So uh, I'd really highly recommend you be a part of all of that. Uh, boy, uh, the, uh, the signups just exploded uh, yesterday at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship, but there's still room for you. Just go online uh, at calvarychristianfellowship.com. You can sign up online and uh, we'll reserve your space and uh, there'll be a little lunch break there on Saturday for you as well. Uh, so a uh, great time of fellowship and a great time of deepening our understanding of I God's plan word. to attend. Yeah. And then when you go to the website, there's a slider, so you can click on that and then you'll see the registration. And as well as the, me if you click on messages, uh, that's how you'll find, uh, if you click on most recent sermons, you can find Pastor Sean's series on why we stand with Israel. So we'll get that up in the next day or so. Uh, so be looking out for that. <clears throat> yeah, it's not only, you know, Scripture says that we, we walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. But there's something life-transformative when you can walk where they walked, see what they saw, go to the places where these events occurred. Absolutely. It's just mind-boggling. Yeah, and there, there's no way, there's really no way to describe, and I, you know, I think you'd bear witness with me on this, the sense of the presence of the Lord in that mm -hmm. land. Uh, you know, when you're there in these places, I've mentioned before uh, a, a, an experience that I had uh, when uh, I saw the excavated uh, remains of the synagogue at Magdala mm -hmm. in, uh, in Northern Galilee. Uh, this was where uh, Mary Magdalene was from, literally Mary of Magdala. And so uh, Jesus obviously had preached in that synagogue. And, uh, you know, when you see the synagogue, the, the main call of attention is that they found in the ruins of this synagogue, and it's just recently been excavated. Um, you know, there's other synagogues that have been 
excavated, like the one in Capernaum, but, you know, it's kind of overlaid and, you mm-hmm. know, with a touristy kind of a thing on top of it and so on. But this is just really, uh, when we were there, it was just the, the raw excavation. They found in the midst of it a mock-up, a model of what the temple in Jerusalem looked like. Mm. Prior to that time, we had no idea, really, in a sense, what that temple facility actually looked like. So they took the actual one they found there, uh, and uh, it is now in the Jewish Museum of Natural History in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, but uh, the fascinating thing about this is that this synagogue dates to the time of Christ. It's not one that came later. This was a synagogue that would have been there when Jesus was around. Mm. And looking at the ruins, uh, one of the things that Ronnie pointed out to me, he goes, do you see that bench that's sitting there in the uh, the foyer area that had been excavated? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, when visiting rabbis would come, it was the tradition uh, for them to sit on that bench and teach. That's how the uh, service would be conducted. And I go, oh, that's, he goes, do you realize that Jesus sat on that very bench and taught? Hmm. Now, that either lights your fire or it doesn't. But uh, for me, it was like the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. And just that sense of uh, going, wow, you know. In that moment, this is where he reads, Jesus was. Yeah. yeah, and he reads from the Isaiah scroll, and yeah. then he looks at everybody. This has been fulfilled. Yeah, in your hearing, yeah. In your hearing. And uh, yeah, I remember walking into where Dr. Byerly was saying, I think this is the, this is the place where Jesus actually read that scroll. Yeah. And then we were just... It's you, you can't really put into words. It's just life changing. Yeah. It, it just again, I, I don't want to <clears throat> uh, take away from the idea that we all believe the same. But there's just something um, uh, when you when you kind of come to grips with the reality that this happened in real history, which uh, really um, dovetails nicely with one of our questions that we'll get to in a moment about mythology and archaeology. Uh, we have a question someone asked about that, but um, uh, yeah, just if you have a chance to go, uh, it, it was, I went back in, uh, I think 2014, yeah, 2014, and uh, we had an actor who had memorized the Gospel of Mark and would do a dramatized reading of it, and we did a customized tour where we actually followed the Gospel of Mark in order. Oh, wow. So we had our tour go in that arrangement. And it was neat. Every time we had to uh, got to a new location, he would actually do that reading from Mark, as it pertained to the you know to the gospel as that as far as that is concerned. But uh, mm. yeah, it was it was the best two weeks I ever spent. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Okay, well, uh, our first question is from Mike. <clears throat> Thanks, Mike, for being such a faithful listener too, and thank you for all your good questions. Uh, how do we know when God is putting us through a trial? I always react badly when things go wrong. I've even shouted at God in the past. I feel terrible about it, but I don't, uh, ch- I, I don't react well. Uh, worrying and depressing, being depressing and not uh, growing as I should. So how do we know when God's putting us through a trial or I just happen to be going through a rough time through a rough thing? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, uh, great question, Mike. And uh, in the words of a Bible teacher that I really have a lot of respect for, Chuck Missler, uh, coincidence is not a kosher word. Uh, Sometimes we think that things just sort of happen to us in life. But understand something. You know, we talked about how Psalm 121 says, He who watches over Israel uh, will neither slumber or sleep. But the first uh, line of that is, uh, He watches over you. Uh, will not slumber. 
And then it says, he who watches over Israel will never neither slumber nor sleep. Uh, Jesus described himself as the good shepherd of the flock. And one of the things that the shepherd does is he watches over the welfare of the sheep under his care. And Jesus does a really good job of that. There's nothing that escapes his notice, Mike. And, and so we've got to be really careful. There's sometimes that we try to, in a sense, separate the spiritual and the material in our life, uh, the secular and uh, the, the, the the things of God, the moves of God's spirit. Uh the Bible doesn't recognize any kind of distinction along that line, especially if you're a believer in Christ. And so that's one of the first things we need to understand. Things just don't happen to us as believers. You know, yesterday at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship, uh, we were going through a, a fascinating passage in the book of First Peter. In First uh, Peter chapter 1, uh, I think we get an insight that can maybe give you some perspective in all of this, and, and I hope it's encouraging to you, because it's certainly been encouraging to me. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, uh, we read this. In this, talking about the saving relationship with God we have, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, there's, there's a few uh, components of this that I think might help you uh, in your question here. First of all, uh, we rejoice in the fact that we have a saving relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus, then none of this applies to you. Uh, but once we invite Christ into our heart, once we receive him as our Savior, once we've asked him to come into our life, forgive us our sins, and put our faith and our trust in him, God begins to do a work uh, within our lives. And part of that work is using the, uh, the toolbox, if you will, of trials in this world to accomplish his great purpose. I love the way Peter phrases here, though now for a little while, if need be, You've been grieved by various trials. Mike, I want to tell you something. There is no trial that is going on in your life, no difficulty that you are facing that is not necessary, that is not needful, if you will, in terms of what God's work is within your life. We say, well, great, but what's God's work in my life? Uh, verse 7 gives us the answer. It says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious then gold that perishes, though it's mm. tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter likens our faith to, in a sense, gold, something more precious to God than gold, tested by fire. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, when a, uh, a uh, metallurgist wants to purify uh, precious metal, especially gold, what they will do is they'll put the sample of gold in it, in a crucible, a ceramic cup, and then they will put it inside a, an oven that heats the gold up to the, the temperature where it liquefies. Then they will take it out of that oven. And as the gold liquefies, the impurities in the gold, called dross, rise to the surface. The metallurgist will then very carefully remove the dross from the top of the gold. Then he will put it back in the fire. And he will repeat the process and repeat the process and repeat the process until the gold is purified. Well, raises the question, how does the metallurgist know when the gold is purified? 
Well, they will know that the gold is purified, that the process is complete. When they can take out that ceramic cup, look into it, and see their face perfectly reflected like in a mirror. Well, that's exactly what God is up to within our lives. Jesus wants to work out his character within our lives. And the tool that he uses to accomplish this are fiery trials. He's going to turn up the heat on us. And as the heat is turned up on us, the impurities of our life have a funny way of coming to the surface. You mentioned kind of getting angry and, ah, you know, wanting to... Well, that's one of those examples where don't be discouraged. It was like God showing you some of the dross, some of the stuff that needs to be removed. And how do we remove it? Well, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First thing you do is you're open and you're honest about those areas of dross in your life. You ask the Lord to remove those things through the power of your spirit, of his spirit. And as the Lord does this, as this process is completed, you're going to see what we call Christian growth. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 18, we are told, We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Lord the Spirit. So what God is going to be doing in our lives is, uh, you know, just as uh, Paul used that image of us beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and that work of God's Spirit to transform us. We're going to go through trials but there's a meaning, there's a purpose behind these trials. God's working out this uh, wonderful uh, miracle of making us uh, like Jesus. Uh, from right where we started with all our imperfections, uh, boy, the first time we go through trial, lots of dross shows up, doesn't it? But God continues to do that until we are like Jesus. Now, just a word about trials. Uh, the word that is translated trial in your New King James Bible is a really interesting one because based on the context in which it is used, it can either be translated trial or temptation. Uh, same word is used for either. Uh, what is the difference between a trial and a temptation? Well, I kind of go back to what Joseph said to his brothers. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. Uh, we can go through a set of circumstances, and uh, the wicked one can certainly use it for evil within our lives. If it causes us to get into the flesh, if it causes us to be reactive and not responsive, if it causes things like fear and resentment to be running the show within our lives, then it's a temptation for sure. But every one of those circumstances can have another side of the coin. If I look at a set of circumstances, no matter how distressing they might be, no matter how uh, much of a Maalox moment they might uh, present to my system, if I look at that and I say, okay, what does it mean for me to trust God in this set of circumstances? What does it mean for me to wait on the Lord and uh, have him establish my heart, as Psalm 27 says? Uh, what does it mean for me just to allow the Lord to work and to work out within me greater Christ-likeness? Uh, you know, if we have that intention as we go through our day, as we go through the struggles in our day, uh, I, I think we're going to see that kind of growth. Uh, and uh, let's face it, uh, like the old saying goes, hard times in life will either do one thing to make you bitter or make you better. But uh, rarely will they leave us in the same place. So if we decide, no matter what's coming down the alley, uh, to say, even before we get there, Lord, the next time 
one of these trials and tribulations, one of these, uh, that which I greatly feared has come to pass moments, one of those constant uh, drone of irritations we can get into in the world. Uh, if we can say, okay, Lord, you know I don't like this sort of thing. You know that I would much rather not be dealing with this. But what does it mean for me to walk with you in the midst of all of this? How would you handle this? How can I not react, but respond in a Christ-like way? And as you do that, you know, the, the, the funny thing that I've discovered, Adrian, is that uh, more often than not, when I look at some of the greatest trials, some of the most uh, overwhelming difficulties, the times I really felt like I was tidal waved in my life, look back at them now, and I'm thankful for each and every one of them. Not thankful that bad things happen, but thankful that God was able to take even those bad things and work them together for good. For those who love him were called according to his purpose. Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 tells us that. We usually stop right there. Mm -hmm. But verse 29 tells us what God's purpose is. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. They might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we know what our purpose in life is like. Not so much of a where are we going, but who are we going to be when we get there? Uh, Christ-like character, that's what God's all about. And uh, our circumstances and our surroundings and, and things like that, those are details. Uh, God is concerned about the details, don't get me wrong, but he's most concerned about completing that work and making mm. us like Jesus. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Like a diamond in the rough, it's gonna hurt sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, purification is not fun, Mike. Mm. There's, there's no doubt about it. But uh, boy, you know, consider the alternative. You know, sometimes I just shake my head and I go, man, how do people that don't know the love of God, don't know that God is working in their lives, how do they get through times like this? Mm. I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, but, right. uh, but we know. Jesus said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. Romans 8, verse 31 says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who will be against us? He's with us. He's for us. And when we remember these things, Isaiah 26, 3, boy, you might want to write this one down, Mike. Hmm. It says, you will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on you because he's tr he trusts in you. So if I'm not experiencing God's perfect peace, you know, that's the problem. Uh, we also see the prescription. I need to have my mind stayed on God and trust in him. And if I ask for the power of the Spirit to do it, he, he will take care of that. He'll answer that hmm. prayer. Thanks for that, Scott. That was very uh, good. And... <clears throat> Very encouraging. Uh, even hearing it over and over, it doesn't ever get old. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I have I found that God is kind of like a one-note piano in my life on that sort of thing. Well, uh, and and if I think I think if I really had it down, then I wouldn't need trials anymore. But yeah. evidently, I do because I've got them. <laughs> well, and it always reminds me of that passage in James where he talks about how the person who looks in the mirror and sees that their face is dirty or or forget and walks away and forgets what they look like. Uh, we're we're just so boggled down by the worries of the world that we forget that you know like the the line that um uh what was it martin luther uh, coram deo always in the presence of god yeah kind of the idea of just reminding ourselves that god is always there yeah he's always in us yeah uh nothing surprises him <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he doesn't take breaks <laughs> he doesn't have an on off switch so well, we were talking about the land of Israel, Scott. We were talking about how amazing it is to walk where they walked. I remember that quote, and I'm going to butcher, I think it was F.F. Bruce, that said that uh, Luke, for example, mentions so many cities, places, names, without a single error when it comes to authenticating what he recorded in, the, in his gospel from archaeology. Yeah. 
Now, Guy, or I, I hope I'm saying your name correctly, Guy posted a question on our website. It says, well, how do we handle when artifacts that don't pertain to the Bible are found? Example, a tomb of Cerebus and how Hercules was found. And now they're saying, see, your religion is just like any other. All roads are the same. We have evidence for Muhammad, Hercules, and now Jesus. Um, so uh, how is that? Well, uh, Guy, I, I, or Guy, as the case may be, uh, you know, the first uh, question that I always ask people along these lines is, um, if they found the tomb of Hercules, right? Um, well, no, they didn't. Yeah, yeah they did not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, what they found was in Italy, right. there was a, a, a tomb that was preserved very well that had a frescus, a beautiful or artistic painting that had, was a painting of the three-headed dog that guards the gates yeah, of Cerberus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hades, yeah. What the, the last troubles that Hercules had to go through. But this isn't a tomb of a three-headed dog. <laughs> right, right. Or a tomb of a man named Hercules. Right. It's a tomb with a painting on it. Obviously, people believe these things, and they're going to paint the walls with them. That is not a shocking thing. What was shocking was how well-preserved the painting was. That's about all we can get from that. Yeah, and uh, there's no doubt about the fact that there were these kind of myths and legends and that people would commemorate them. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, you go to virtually any city uh, that was uh, a part of uh, Roman or Greek culture in those days, and you'll find statues of Zeus. Uh, you'll find statues of Aphrodite. Yeah. You go to Ephesus, you'll find a statue of Diana. That and that's there. just evidence that people believe these things, not right. that these things are true. That they actually existed, right. And uh, the, the interesting thing is, uh, when you uh, begin to study these myths as well, there is no claim really made that these things actually happened. Uh, they're just so stories, if you will. They are things that uh, just are an attempt to make sense of the world around. And that's where uh, Christianity uh, so radically uh, differs. Mm. In, in fact, Jesus in the Gospel of John uh, chapter 3 uh, really laid down the gauntlet when he said, if I tell you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? So the mm. thing that I love about the Lord is he knows that uh, one of the first questions that goes through our minds is fallen, sinful, uh, default position, unbelieving individuals is, well, says who? Why should I believe this? You know, what's the evidence behind it? Uh, and, and so, you know, the Bible answers that question in a really radical way. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, the, the, the Gospel of John does not begin with the words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the myth of Star Wars is just that. It's a myth because it happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No matter, you know, how much uh, digging or research uh, you do, you will never find any kind of corroboration that Luke Skywalker ever existed. However, with the Bible, we are told in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, mm. and we are told the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That same Apostle John went on to say, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, heard with our ears, and hands handled, regarding the word of life. When Peter and John were brought uh, to trial before the same seasoned group of political power brokers who railroaded Jesus into his crucifixion and told never to speak or teach again in the name of Jesus, ever again, uh, they said, uh, whether it is right in the eyes of God to obey you 
then God, you be the judge. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is a statement that uh, dates to no more than 25 years, probably less uh, than uh, from the, the time that the actual event happened and is not original. Uh, it is probably something that was uh, being passed around in the church yeah. within 10 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. The essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which means literally good news, uh, which I preach to you, which you also received, and which you stand, by which you also are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay, so what's the gospel? Well, you got to believe these doctrines about God and the God's a Trinity, and, and you know that 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 you know He created all things at this time in this way and so on. No, this is the gospel. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, another name for Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. So the essence of the gospel, understand something, isn't about a feeling. It's not about a philosophy. It's not about a way of life. It is about a historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that it was attested to overwhelmingly by this list of witnesses that we see here. Uh, you know, there's a, a principle in historical verification called uh, confirmation by embarrassment. Uh, you know, we see this here because he appeared first to Cephas, a guy by the name of Simon Peter, the scripture records as denying Jesus three times before his resurrection. But uh, here we see that Peter's whole life had been turned around and changed by this encounter. We are also told that he was seen by James, another way that historians confirm that an actual historical uh, event took place, his confirmation by hostility, a hostile mm -hmm. witness. Well, James, prior to the resurrection of Jesus, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah at all. In fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, we see James and his brothers mocking Jesus and saying, you're going about this all wrong. If you really want to be somebody, why don't you go down to Jerusalem and do your miracles so everybody will see how wonderful you are. Uh, it says, for not even his own brothers were believing in him. Mm. Now, this is what we would call a hostile witness. James did not believe in Jesus until he had that encounter with the risen Christ. Another great way that historians attest to an actual fact that has happened in history across the board is uh, multiple attestation. In other words, it is not just something that was seen by one or two people, but by a large group of people. In this case, over 500 people at once. And that puts to bed, you know, another objection to the resurrection of Jesus. Some people say, well, you want to see something bad enough, you're going to see it. Maybe they had a hallucination. Well, 500 people don't have the same hallucination at the same time. It just doesn't happen. You know, the, the other thing is, well, maybe, you know, the disciples, uh, you know, just decided that, uh, you know, they were going to make up this religion. That was a great way to make money, get, get away from the hard labor of being fishermen. Well, when we take a look at the history of it all, uh, 11 out of the 12 disciples um, that uh, were mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 1 uh, died brutal, grisly deaths, tortured 
with one way out of it. Just say it was a hoax. Just say you made it up. Just say Jesus didn't rise from the dead. They were all willing to go through that. And out of the, you go, well, what about the other one? Well, only one disciple died of old age, and that was John. And at one point, John was such a pain in the neck to uh, Diocletian and the Romans that they literally had him tossed in boiling oil to shut him up. He was a French fried disciple, but even that wouldn't shut him up. That level of torture would not keep this man from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Guy, when it comes to the difference between, say, seeing a uh, painting of Severus on a uh, tomb ceiling, uh, or even, you know, if you will, a painting of Jesus or a mosaic of Jesus, say, in a Byzantine-era church, that's not why I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, it's interesting. In a sense, you could say it's uh, collaborating, but the essence of the Christian message comes down to, did Jesus rise from the dead, and why do we believe it? Mm-hmm. And that's what separates fact from fiction. Not just the fact that Luke describes these things, for instance, in his yeah. gospel, with incredible precision as far as places and customs, and even the names of politicians. Sometimes he's almost too specific, uh, because in one portion of the book of Acts, he talks about a group of uh, leaders called uh, polyarchs. And uh, there was a, uh, a, an attempt to discredit Luke by saying, well, we, we, we don't see yeah. that ever mentioned in any other uh, ancient... Any, uh, yeah, there, there's, <laughs> there's no such thing until, of course, an archaeological dig revealed in that very region that uh, that uh, particular city uniquely called their leaders polyarchs. And, uh, you know, there you go. So, uh, Here's you know, the inscription, by the way. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can put it up there on the, the screen for those who are watching... Yeah, you uh, discovered Solomon Ramsey, and then yeah, Polytarchs. The idea yeah. that uh, that Luke must have made it up because they had never found an inscription, and it was the the archway stone of the entrance to the city where it was inscribed. This yeah. is Polytarch. It's like saying these. This is the mayor of Tucson. Right, right. And if you want to put that picture of Sir William Ramsey up again uh, for a second, let me tell you something about him. Uh, Sir William Ramsey was considered the absolute best scholar, uh, historian of the history of ancient Rome. He was also a committed atheist. Uh, One of his uh, fellow professors at Cambridge challenged him to evaluate uh, the uh, gospel of of Luke and Acts from a historian's point of view. Well, Ramsey said to his friend, well, why don't you take Luke and I'll take Acts? Uh, And so he took Acts and looking at it from his historian's eye, He not only came to this verdict, Luke is a historian of the first rank, Mm. but he also gave his life to Christ because he was so overwhelmed at the historical reliability, just from the book of Acts, uh, of the message that Jesus had risen from the dead. Yeah, and here's that quote. Yeah. In uh, the bearing of recent discovery of the trustworthy New Testament, Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect of his direct story. He is a historian of the first rank. Yeah. Yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, they, you know, as they often say, just take a shovel, go over to Israel, you'll find what the Bible talks about. <laughs> exactly. Without error. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when it comes to Muhammad, uh, it, you mentioned Muhammad as well, uh, there is tremendous amount of skepticism whether he ever even existed, uh, because everything that's written about him and mentions his name is post-dates his existence by hundreds of years, whereas the testimonies of the Gospels come within the eyewitness generation. That means that in the time of the lives of the eyewitnesses, we already have recordings of what they witnessed, which, whereas with Muhammad, 
most of uh, the evidence is starting to point to, wow, none of this was ever really recorded until hundreds of years, which is when legend begins to set in. Yeah, and I've, I've heard people like Bill O'Reilly on Fox News one night said that uh, the Gospels were written hundreds of years after the fact. Uh, and they say, well, you know, then legend and myth and these miracles creep in. But uh, those who make these statements don't realize that we have evidence like the Ryland's Fragment of John, John Ryland's mm -hmm. Library, Manchester, England. I think it's in the British Museum now. I think they moved it there. Mm -hmm. But it's called the Ryland's Fragment of John. It's a section of John chapter 5 that even the most skeptical scholars date to no later than 120 A.D. or 30 years after the Apostle John wrote the eyewitness account that bears his name. Most scholars believe it's earlier than that. There so there you go. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's a little bit of s s debate, but the uh, Karsten Peter Thied uh, dated the Magdalene manuscript, you know, because it's all based on the handwriting style. Right. Uh, dated it to 60 AD. Yeah. Now, there's, again, there's controversy because he passed away, but... Um, uh, well, that and uh, there's an awful lot of people whose grants and uh, PhDs are based upon that not being true. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was, uh, if you want to yeah. get a good deep dive on the existence of Muhammad, I would encourage you to check out Jay Smith's YouTube channel. Uh, it's Fander Films, and there's a just go to the playlist there, and you'll find some really good information on the history of the Quran and whether there's any archaeological evidence for the existence of Muhammad. Thanks for the questions. We'll uh, see you again tomorrow. God bless you. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.